I'm reading from Mark chapter 15 in the new, from the New International Version, verses 33 through 41. Please attend this reading from the Holy Word. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama, sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, mother, Mary, mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Here ends this important special scripture. Thanks be to God. What was it like at the cross when Jesus was on it? Watching and waiting and wondering. It was the worst moment of my life and also the most profoundly meaningful I'd been following Jesus for a while. Not like my sons. They were with Jesus on all of his travels. But still, I kept close tabs on Jesus' ministry. And I went to hear him teach as often as I could. He was like no other rabbi, like no other man. He spoke with such truth and authority, and yet with such kindness and compassion. He saw those on the margins and in the shadows, it became clear to me that he was exactly who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah. When the Feast of Passover began, everyone who had been following Jesus was on alert. I guess we were pretty excited, thinking this might be the time he would publicly declare his identity. Many of the men thought this might be the moment of standing up to Rome. Maybe our days of occupation could come to an end. We all believed we had a new leader. So, when things started to go so badly, the arrest, the trial, the conviction, we were thrown into chaos. How could this be happening? Capital punishment for Jesus. People scattered. Many of the followers went into hiding, unsure how safe it was to stay associated with Jesus. I wasn't even sure where my own sons went. 
when we heard the news that Jesus was seen carrying a crossbeam toward Golgotha, I was with the Marys. We looked at each other, and without a word, we knew where we needed to be. We needed to be with Jesus, no matter what. There was a deep and quiet conviction among us that Jesus is who he says he is, that in spite of the risk, in spite of our fear, in spite of the horror, we needed to be in the presence of the one who we've come to know as Lord. And it was just as horrible as you might imagine, being there, watching, waiting, wondering. I remember every detail of Jesus' agony. I can't describe it. But what I also remember is who, who else was there and who wasn't there. There were people who walked by or stood by around scoffing, jeering, gawking. For some, a crucifixion is a public curiosity at best and a warning at worst. I'm sure there were many who thought that Jesus was getting just what any criminal deserves. And then, who wasn't there? I kept looking around for my sons, for any of the men who were Jesus' disciples. I kept hoping to catch at least sight of at least one of them somewhere. I knew how much they cared. I knew how much they loved Jesus. Surely they were there. I never did see any of the men. I have hoped that some of them were there, perhaps in the shadows, perhaps a short distance away. But I was there. Mary and Mary and I were there. We watched Jesus take his last breath, and we stayed until we knew he had died. We stayed until the end. Staying until the end. The connection of this text today from the Gospels and our lives as human beings has to do with our experience of death. Have you stayed there till the end? Have you been there while a loved one takes their last breath? I'm struck by the words of Salome this morning, describing it as the worst day of her life. And yet, at the same time, the day that is the most profound and has had the most impact on her existence from that moment forward. I encourage you to think about your experience with perhaps knowing or seeing someone who takes their last breath as you consider this text and the words that I will be saying as we seek to understand its meaning. But another connection to our lives 
that this text brings is to perhaps open our eyes to the presence of people who often are not seen, who might be ignored or overlooked. Today we're reading a text that has been read over and over again in the history of the church. And yet we are trying to understand what is happening through the eyes of a person, a woman named Salome. As we consider what Salome has to say, we consider those faithful people who often go unrecognized, their voices unheard. And yet they have something important to tell us. I begin by asking this question. Do we see Salome? She's there at the cross, according to Mark's gospel. And she's also one of three women who were first to the empty tomb on Easter morning. Mark accounts for women who were present to witness Jesus' death. In verse 40 of chapter 15, he writes, Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, and Salome. Their names were remembered by the tradition that was written up in the gospel accounts. During a time in history when Historical accounts were often known to, almost in a wholesale manner, leave out the presence of women. And that makes them worthy of note. There's a reason why their names are in the story. Yet I think it's safe to say that they have been overlooked by many throughout the history of the church, but not by us in this place today. Mary Magdalene, of course, is the more well-known of the three, and next week we see the resurrection through her eyes. Mark alone mentions Salome. In Palestine at the time, Salome was actually a very popular name. She's described as being a part of the contingent that visits Jesus' tomb three days later. Now, Salome and the others are not mentioned until after Jesus dies. So here they aren't described as actively or closely comforting Jesus while he is dying. They are described as observing from a distance. Why from a distance? Perhaps it was just the allowable distance, as in they were observing from as close as they could possibly get. But it probably depicts their sense of vulnerability and perhaps their fear of reprisals upon recognition as followers of Jesus. It's significant that they are there and that the original 12 disciples minus Judas are not there, but not in a way that presents them as, his, as heroically faithful and the original 12 as abject failures at this moment. 
They likely experienced the same fears, and yet the women stayed longer, perhaps found a way to risk more, in part because they may have been overlooked. Were they there all along? As we've followed Jesus' trial from, from the, the gathering with his disciples in the upper room all the way from the arrest to the, the, the trial at Caiaphas' home and then being transferred to Pilate's fortress, have they been there following all along, just unnamed and unnoticed? If not, when did they join? When did they enter the story? Had they followed Jesus as he carried his cross to Golgotha along what we know today in Jerusalem as the Via Dolorosa? Do they come into view or does Jesus come into their view only when he is raised high on the cross? Salome and the women, who are they? Mark mentions them by name, but unlike Luke, at this point of his gospel, he has not yet mentioned the fact that women had been following Jesus throughout his public ministry, and he needs to fill in some of the details, and he does so in verse 41. In Galilee, that's in the northern part of Israel where Jesus began his ministry, In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Many. Here we learn that they had first met Jesus and started to follow him in Galilee. So Salome, who we meet in Jerusalem, would more properly be known as Salome of Galilee. Perhaps she's from Magdala, which is where Mary Magdalene is from, on the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee, or perhaps further along the road, east, she might be Salome of Capernaum, which kind of served as a home base for Jesus and his disciples. Here's what we learn about them from Mark. They cared for Jesus' needs. Luke, in his gospel, mentions that they provided the financial resources for Jesus and his disciples, that that was one need that they cared for. But here, it's focused on caring for the needs of Jesus. Second thing we learn about them is they weren't the only ones. Many women had come up with him to Jerusalem. And the third thing we learn is that they are witnesses we are treated to their experience of seeing and hearing the culmination of Jesus' trial and conviction. They are mentioned in the final sentence of the final scene of this journey to Jesus' death on the cross. So we've seen Salome. We notice her and the other women. They are witnesses. 
What did Salome see? Salome saw that Jesus had truly died. Verse 37, the text reads, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Even from a distance, Salome can tell that it's over. Jesus labored breathing. Jesus' painful attempts to raise himself up by the feet that are nailed to the cross to get more air suddenly end after that loud cry. All is silent. All is still. Jesus had been crying out from the cross for a while. Mark's text recounts this. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, the text tells us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These words from Psalm 22 express the darkness of Jesus' experience even as darkness encroached upon the entire scene. And Salome and the others were enveloped in the shadow and felt the chill of Jesus' final cries of suffering. Witnesses to Jesus' actual death are very important because Jesus didn't just seem to die, Jesus died. Claims of Jesus' resurrection from the dead have been received in the early days of the church all the way down to what you could discover by Googling, did Jesus really die? Those claims have been met with many contentions that Jesus could not have really died. But this isn't the princess bride. This isn't a time when Miracle Max would say of Jesus that he was only mostly dead. On the cross, Jesus breathed his last. The Romans did not mess around when it came to carrying out crucifixion. Salome witnessed the final verdict of the entire trial of all centuries. Yes, we thought the trial had ended, didn't we? We thought the trial ended when Pilate relented and gave in to the crowds crying, crucify him. But the final testimony has not yet been uttered. And yet Salome hears it. It's the testimony of the Roman centurion. In verse 39, we read, And the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died. And he said, Surely this man is the Son of God. Salome and the other women are in a virtual courtroom gallery 
to witness this ultimate testimony about Jesus, the final verdict in the trial of all centuries. Surely this man was the Son of God. These words are the heart of the gospel and proclaim the definitive truth about Jesus' nature. Jesus was convicted of being the king of the Jews, a charge that we have learned he was guilty of. But here in the words of a Roman centurion, we learn that Jesus is also the son of God who will be believed by a Gentile. A Gentile. The world was full of Gentiles. In Mark 13.10, Jesus had predicted that, quote, the gospel first must be preached to all nations. And when the tradition, the oral tradition of the Gospels was put into words, written words, here by Mark, there were many Gentiles who were now hearing the story of Jesus, reading it for themselves And they read how a Gentile, a prominent citizen of the vast Roman Empire, made a confession of faith in Jesus as the Son of God. And this is something that many of those first hearers and readers of the written Gospels who were in house churches far from Jerusalem would recognize because they themselves were Gentiles who had made that public confession themselves. Surely this man is the Son of God. Our Lenten series has been about conviction. In the dictionary, the first definition you'll find of this word is the act or process of finding a person guilty of a crime, especially in a court of law. As we've traced Jesus' trial in the Gospels, we've come to the conclusion of his conviction, his death on a cross. But there's another definition for the word conviction, meaning a strong persuasion or belief. As we've taken in the dramatic first-person testimonies of the people who were part of Jesus' trial, we've considered their possible persuasions and beliefs, their puzzlement, and even their potential animosity. But now at the conclusion, we are asked, what convictions do you have about Jesus? Do you see him as the son of God? Will you claim him as your king? Like Salome, will you emerge from the shadows to be named? Yes, named. As one of Christ's followers. As we enter into Holy Week, we count down the days to the Easter celebration we know is coming one week from now. But before that day arrives, we dare to linger in the darkness, in the valley of the shadow of Jesus' death.
the evidence of his trial and conviction, and now his death has been presented. What is your verdict? The world is waiting to hear. 